As we, uh, as we go to Scripture this morning, I want, if it's possible, for you to have in the back of your minds everything that we've talked around on the Sermon on the Mount, everything that we've talked about, the Beatitudes, the you've heard it said, but now I tell you, the, the visual pictures of turning the other cheek and going the extra mile, the prayer taught to us by Jesus, all of those things, because what you're going to hear now is Matthew is going to make this turn. It turns from teaching into practice. And right away, in these first 17 verses, Jesus shows us what he meant in the Sermon on the Mount. Hear these words as Melinda reads. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my slave, Do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Holy wisdom, holy word. Friends, throughout our lives, we are surrounded by monikers. Names identifying factors in each of us that help identify kind of where we are affiliated. Some of us are identified by the clubs in which we attend or even our political stands. Names like Democrat or Republican socialist or libertarian, some by our religious affiliation, Muslim, Jew, Christian, and even within Christianity, multitudes of kinds of monikers that attach to the name Christian, progressive, liberal, conservative, evangelical. But there are other kinds of names that we, uh, that we hear uh, that are not identifying us in those kinds of terms. Sometimes we hear names like warmongers or tree huggers, sexists, racists, 
commies, druggies, whores, and crooks. And it's amazing. And there, you know, I could go on and on and on about some of the kinds of names that we are called. And both of those need to be in our heads when we hear that scripture, that last scripture. But let me go back just for a couple seconds. Over the last six to eight weeks, as I said, we've explored this gospel. And a reminder, this is the everybody's in gospel. This is the teaching gospel. We tried to kind of dismantle it and try and see not only what Jesus was saying and doing, but why he was saying these kinds of things. Even last week, I I talked about the Lord's Prayer and why that term Father is in there. It was so incredible that he would use that term when relating to God because for that group, it was a complete change of understanding for what God was. Now he's saying God is intimate parent. But those words that I used, those references that I used, those kind of labels that I used are not dissimilar to what we see here. Here's a couple that we've heard. Roman, centurion, Jew, Gentile, Galilean. In these two chapters, we see prostitute, Roman spy, Samaritan, demon-possessed, tax collector, leper, and even mother-in-law. And I have to tell you that Mother-in-law back then, you should see each other looking at each other. This is just hilarious as you, as you guys are looking at each other. Mother-in-law back then pretty much had the same kind of feel as mother-in-law today. But mother-in-law. And often these terms would be used with such disdain that even there were folks who, if they said the word Roman, and particularly Roman centurion, immediately after that, was said they would spit on the ground. There is such disdain over this, such hatred, such feelings of contention that that you wouldn't even want to say some of these terms. Even a leper, you would never say that in good company. It just wasn't a word that you would use. And yet now what we have, if we understand this Gospel of Matthew... And we understand the teaching that Jesus has done around the Sermon on the Mount. And I keep using this hand motion. Going from those who subjugate and God's creation of equity, of wholeness, of health, all of which is so dependent on our relationships with each other. And suddenly, as we move beyond the Sermon on the Mount, we hear of three Very specific stories of healing. And it's amazing who these stories are about. First of all, it's the leper. And I want to remind us that leprosy, yes, was all about skin disease. But within that leprosy was, by the way, leprosy. A disfiguring, terrible skin disease. And right away after the Sermon on the Mount, what does... What does, okay, I'll use Dorothy. What was, because I was looking at the choir and Rick, Rick Wilson was sitting right there on his bald head and so I did this with him. Leprosy, what Jesus did is he placed his hands in the midst of that disease in a very intimate way. Sorry, honey. And I will pay for this later. 
But, but in the midst of that disease and healed, a leper No more spitting. A leper. A leper. And then he does the absolute unthinkable. And Matthew does an incredible job about this. And he, what he does is he goes, and as he's walking along the way with his disciples, he comes to a Roman centurion. Well, you're not really a Roman centurion. Tall, dark, and handsome. A Roman centurion. And do not, do not somehow diminish the spitting that happens. It, they, they, they said that word with such disgust because that's the enemy. That's the enemy. And so many in this population didn't want to just spit. They wanted to kill. To be in a relationship with the Roman centurion was to be the enemy. Was to be the enemy along with them. And here's the centurion who comes up and and says to Jesus, Holy One, if you, I have a servant in need of healing. And Jesus immediately offers to go to that place, to his home, stepping foot like the leprosy, stepping foot into the home of a Roman centurion, risking his own cleanliness to do that. And the centurion says to him, you don't need to come. If you would but just say the words, I know that my servant would be healed. I lead a hundred soldiers. When I say go, they go. If you take command of this, I know that what you say will occur. Jesus is astounded at this and says, and you better catch this, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. Ow! A Roman centurion. And then I just find it so interesting that then they go from the Roman centurion to the (laughs) mother-in-law. I'm just saying. (laughs) Healing. Look at who was healed. What's interesting in the midst of this is if you go through chapters 8 and 9, what you have is this an amazing laundry list of the kinds of healing that are take place. But if you look more closely, and those that have been in my classes, you know I, I ask you to look exegetically at this. In other words, to pull whatever is unusual out of the text. And here's what's unusual in this text, if you hadn't noticed. There's this bizarre story in the midst of all of that. There's this story of Jesus calming a storm. Right smack dab there in the middle of this text. And it's an unusual story the way particularly Matthew interprets it because he's the only gospel writer who has Jesus asleep. He has Jesus getting into this boat, open boat, going back to the back, laying down and falling asleep. And in the midst of that slumber, this enormous storm 
begins to take place. So huge that the waves are crashing over the gunnels of the boat. And the boat is on the verge of being swamped and, and, and put under. And here are the people in the boat, even fishermen, who are so afraid that they finally come to Jesus and say to him, Do you not care for us that you would be asleep in the midst of this storm? Well, friends, what if this story isn't about that storm? What if Matthew places his story in the midst of this and has Jesus asleep because what he's saying is, this is a metaphor for what's going on around us right now. As he looks at these disciples and he looks at the crowds that have gathered and he sees the poverty and he sees the desperation and he sees the fear and he hears the cries, O Lord, save us over and over and over and over again. And he looks at the temple authorities and can't figure out why in the world they're asleep. Why in the world they are not responding to the tragedies that are around them. What if that's why that story's there? And they go to Jesus and they, they basically yell at Him to say, don't you care about us as though they're yelling at God or yelling at the authorities. Where is your love and care for us as we are here perishing? And what does Jesus do? He gets up and He says, O oh, you of little faith, trust God. And then he lifts his hands and says, Peace be still. And they look at him and they say, Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And might this mean, here is finally one sent by God to bring peace and balance, healing and equity. Not only to the Jews, but to the entire world. What if that's why that story's in there? Then Matthew goes on and, and he talks, look at, the, look at the healings. He goes and there's a tax collector there. And he calls him out of that life into something new. And there's a paralytic there. And he calls him out of that desperate life into something new. And throughout this gospel, what we have are prostitutes, other lepers, others with other diseases, those who are demon-possessed, out being called out of that life into something new. In first service, I had a picture on the screen of, of muddy hands. All you saw were the hands over the eyes of another man. And it's that story of Jesus taking mud and, and making dirt and spitting in that mud and placing it on the eyes of that man. And even after that initial healing, the man still couldn't quite see and he goes back and does it again and washes his face and, and does the healing again, and suddenly the man can see. And friends, that's, that's where we are. 
Sermon on the Mount creates the potential. The potential for that community. But then we have to respond. The Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to say it again, creates the potential for a community that is all about healing no matter what. But we're in the same kind of era today, I believe, as what Jesus was dealing with back then. And that's why at the end of this scripture then, he kind of takes a left turn. It always it looks like a left turn. It's not at all. And suddenly he talks briefly about fasting and then looks again at saying, and, and talks about wineskins. Wineskins. That you, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Why? Because new wine ferments in a different way than old wine. New wine is much more active, much more organic, continually releases the gases in a much more significant way. And if you put that new wine in old wineskins made out of the skins of animals that are so saturated that you put that new wine in there and guess what happens? And it literally did. It explodes. No. You take new wineskins. <laughs> wineskins that understand that God is not punishing anyone with leprosy. New wineskins that understand that Romans are beloved children of God, as are their servants. New wineskins that understand that the worst mother-in-law is still a beloved child of God and deserves healing. New wineskins that understand that a paralytic isn't being punished because of something happened five generations before them by someone else in their family. New wineskins that understand that equity and wholeness and peace are at the heart of God. And this teaching gets poured into that new wineskin and it ferments. It becomes richer and deeper. And it's an organic process that takes time. And we are in that organic process that takes time. And friends, we are those new wineskins. And this church is in the midst of a new wineskin time. Fermentation, beauty, richness, flavor, excitement, nourishment. And I can go on and on and on with the last word in the midst of that being healing. Healing. What Jesus has done in an amazing way is been able to take the issues of that religious group, the Jews, and all of the socio-political things that are surrounding it, and has said, it's a new day. And we're going to approach this differently. At the same time, he is looking at every single person with whom he is in ministry and saying, 
You are a beloved child of God and God desires you to be whole and healed. You are the beloved. And allow God to love you and heal you. Beloved children of God. What I'd like to do is take just a few moments because I know that there are those in this sanctuary this morning who are feeling paralysis. I know that there are those in this sanctuary this morning who believe that they are not worthy to be called the beloved child of God. I know that there are those in this sanctuary who feel depression, anxiety, and all manner of other maladies. But now let me close by going back to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes were not about us as individuals. The Beatitudes were about us as community. I dream, continue to dream, of a community where eight years or nine years from now, when I'm still standing before you in this place, what we have created is a much deeper, a much deeper place where we know and love and are there for each other. Sometimes in smaller groups where we can share at levels that maybe we don't share in other places. Where whoever has one of these Concerns or these places in need of healing knows they have a group that will surround them no matter what it is. And I want to say that again. No matter what it is. But it begins with us being able to say to God, I am struggling in these areas and I need your healing. I want to take a few moments just in silence and ask God to raise some of those things for you but not stop there but in the midst of that prayer time to maybe have a face come to mind both for you someone with whom you could share some of that and give it away to someone else and receive the healing that maybe you might get need but also a face that says to you, you need to go talk to them because they need you right now. It was interesting. I will say this to you for service. Um, and for service, a brand spanking new person was here and I could not get his head, his face out of my mind during this prayer time. And went to him after, after service. And he broke down. God will do this if we allow God to do this. To heal us and identify folks with whom we can speak about our own situations and bring faces and names to mind of those that we can, to whom we can bring healing. Reciprocal relationship. So let's take a few moments and I ask us just to be quiet for a few moments in the beauty and quietness of this place and ask God's grace and healing and help in all of this. Will you pray with me?
God, help us not to have it stop here. Throughout the remainder of this day and even into this week, or how about into this month or into this year, or even into the years ahead. Help us remember to pray and believe in the power that will bring to us those in our lives who will help us with our own struggles and those in our lives to whom we need to turn and help them. Jesus said it cannot be done without prayer and without fasting. Help us be those new wineskins that can bring to life these teachings. And as we turn our hearts to the prayer needs of this congregation this morning, we continue to lift up those for whom this is a difficult time. Those who are struggling emotionally or physically or spiritually. We lift up those things for which we are overjoyed or even just happy. And we thank you that you celebrate with us when we celebrate. God, help us not forget that we also have a role in the world. That the hands on that picture at first service are not just the hands of Jesus. Those muddy, dirty, beautiful hands are also ours. Placing ourselves in positions of need some of which are messy. But we're also the one receiving. And help us receive your love and grace, often through the hands of others. God, we thank you for this relationship. Almighty and intimate and beautiful, loving, gentle parent. And as we unite our voices in this prayer, taught to us by Jesus, help us remember, as together we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.